The benefit of the doubt, which is a fresh way of looking at faith. So good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you're live streaming or live, I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. It really is my honor and my privilege and something that I just love to do to be able to bring you the message on this, the third Sunday in the series, The Benefit of the Doubt. Today's message, it's called, Why Do I Doubt? Sort of peels back some of the layers and the reasons behind and the structures underneath. Why is it that so many of us have so many doubts? And like all the messages that this church do, this one does come from the Bible. Hello. And if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to locate uh, Psalm number one and verses one and two. And maybe your Bible looks like this, like a book, and maybe yours is loaded on your phone. And, And either way, however you have it, just go ahead and locate Psalm number one, verses one and two. We talk a lot here about how the Bible is not a book, but it is a library. And within the biblical library, the book of Psalms is like the songbook, the the hymn book. Back when we, we sang songs out of books rather than projected them on screens, the book of Psalms is the songbook of the ancient faith. And this very first in the collection of 150 of them is, is, it is a song, but it's a whole lot of wisdom. It's a song really about wisdom and contrasting that with foolishness. We'll just be looking at the first couple of verses in, in just a few moments. And you, you may not have known that, that the Bible's not a book, but it is a library, and now you do. And you may not be aware of how our church feels in leadership about the Bible, and you may not share this conviction with us. We just like being honest, and, it, and it's this. We like clarity. And it's this, that in leadership here, we believe there's no other library on earth like this one, that God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. We actually believe the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that deep conviction, when we talk about the Bible together, we do something with it. We lift it up. And again, if you're new around here, new on live stream, you're just like, that's a little bit of an of a strange moment when y'all go around there lifting up your Bibles and we admit that it is. But we have discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people. We don't have life figured out. We just know who does. And because we know he does, we're glad to surrender our lives to his authority. Amen? And before I say anything else, Remembering that what, a, what a, an honor it is to surrender our lives to his authority, let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for how good you are. Thank you for how patient you are with our doubts. Thank you for th- this talk that you have given me. And I, and I pray that it would bring much honor to you and that it would open hearts and soften minds all around, not only this room, but on live stream. And, and I just can't do any of this alone, Lord. I'm powerless without you, but because of you, I'm not helpless. In Jesus' name, amen. So throughout this series, The Benefit of the Doubt, and this is the third week of the series, uh, we have tried, I have tried as, as the preacher to to paint a a really sort of comforting portrait of what I would call the noble doubter, noble doubter guy. 
And that's the person who wrestles and who ponders and who thinks, but after all that wrestling and pondering and thinking, just can't quite believe. It's not that they won't believe, it's that they just can't believe. There's too many questions and too many issues and too many doubts. And, and, and again, I've tried to paint this very kind of glowing picture of noble doubter guy, knowing that, that a lot of the noble doubter guys and noble, doubt, noble doubter girls that I'm talking to are, are you. And in fact, you, you could say that the premise of this entire series, the benefit of the doubt, is to speak both lovingly and persuasively to, to the noble doubters who are among us. And yet today, today maybe I'm going to take a slightly different track. Today we're going to just peel back some of the layers that we have on our doubts today. As we look at this topic, not about what, what are your doubts and what are you gonna do with your doubts, but we're gonna go back a level, go, back, go underneath the layer. Why do you doubt in the first place? And my prayer is that when we're done, those of you who've really been holding on resolutely to your doubt, you will see that something else is actually going on. And I, and I hope to kind of peel these layers back slowly and gently and, and unless maybe I just have to rip the Band-Aid off abruptly and, and I'll, by the end of our time together, I'll, I'll let you figure out which one of those have I've done, have I been gentle or been abrupt. And, and I think some of these questions are on my mind. Why is it that we doubt? Is something else going on with my doubts and with your doubts? I think I wrestle with those because of how it is that Psalm number one, the very first hit in the hit parade of the book of Psalms, of how it opens. Look how verse chapter one, verse one, Psalm one, verse one, look at the opening line. It says this, blessed is the one or blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Woo! That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? it, it, it it's both a blessing for and, and a warning to, it's a blessing for people who don't fall in with the crowd, and a warning to those people who do fall in with the crowd. And what is the crowd? What, what is it? What, what, what is the, how does the author describe this crowd that he wants you to avoid? They are the ones who are in, they're, they're the ones who walk, stand in the way of the sinners in the company of mockers. The crowd is all those people who scoff, all those people who mock, all those people who are doubting or so, who believe in their doubts way more than they ever believed in their faith. Actually, actually, you could say that, that the crowd that the author encourages us to avoid is not the people who are Bible lifters, but the people who are Bible scoffers. And, and when you understand who that crowd is, that this author says, blessed is the one who doesn't hang with them. Well, how did that crowd get to be the crowd? How, how did the, not Bible lifters, but Bible scoffers, faith mockers, how did they get to that place? And it's so interesting what the first words of Psalm 1 verse 1 say about that because the doubters, the mockers, the scoffers, they didn't get there by thinking, 
They didn't get there by studying. They did not get there by reflecting. Instead, look at how they became the company of the mockers. Earlier in verse one, who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners. So they got there with wickedness and sinning, two words that are very much out of style but concepts that are not. And I have to think that Psalm number one and verse one is really onto something, not just because it is inspired and eternal and true, but because Psalm number one and verse one really confirms something that I've been thinking for a while, and I'm glad that it's just here to help me put it into words, and it's this. People don't think their way into their doubts. People don't think their way into doubt. They behave their way into their doubts. What I mean is it is very rare for someone objectively to look at all the evidence, to measure the faith, to gauge about Jesus, to think about the scripture, and then come to this completely unbiased conclusion that no, the the God of the Bible does not exist and Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. That's very rare. It's a hundred times more common that people will be engaged in behavior that is self-centered, self-destructive, self-centeredly self-destructive, and then, and then decide that a God who would possibly have anything to say about that is a God that they don't want anything to do with. That a God who could possibly disapprove of this thing that I just did, that God does not exist. Really, really good shepherd, doubt is just permission in disguise. That doubt is the permission that you give yourself to do those things that you really wanted to do anyway, and you, you come up with this veneer of doubt to put upon all that because a God who would have anything to say about these things that you wanted to do, that's a God that does not exist. We remove God so we can become one. Some of you, if you're honest, you, you'll, you'll admit this is what's going, going on in your life because it wasn't so much that you thought your way into the doubts, you didn't reflect and study and get there honestly, objectively. It's more a case you really wanted to smoke that stuff. You wanted to drink that drink. A lot of it. You wanted to hate those people. All of them. You wanted to date that guy. You wanted to move in with the girl. You you didn't care that she was married. It didn't bother you that he was already connected. You really wanted to do what you really wanted to do. And when what you wanted to do bumped up against a God who might've had some different ideas about your self-centeredness and your self-destruction, you just decided that that God did not exist. Doubt is the permission in disguise that you give yourself to do those things, to ruin your life the way you wanted to ruin your life all along. I mean, I've, I've seen it once. I've seen it a hundred times, starting from the youngest of age, starting from my own house. My dad 
who died in 2006 at, at the age of 95, he just never really could believe. And I came to the place as an adult that it wasn't so much that he doubted, but it was very much that he could not bring himself to bow because he'd been beaten as a child. In our day, we would say he was abused as a child by his dad. And it, it stirred up in him this incredible resentment of any kind of authority. And when I say any kind of authority, like police and military and bosses and anyone with a uniform, it's kind of miraculous. I mean, I'm so obedient to authority. It's a miraculous how that, how that all happened. But he just had this deep-seated resentment of any kind of authority in his life at all. And as, a, and as an adult, I came to see, ah, it's not that he doesn't believe, it's that he just can't bow. His doubt was his permission in disguise. I think about that guy I had that conversation with who, who, who uh, on the service, man, he just, just can't believe, I wanna believe, I just can't believe, I don't believe. And ultimately, what, what, what he, he wasn't sure what he did believe about Jesus, but you know what he's very sure about? He loved his marijuana, a lot of it. And it was, I don't care if it's legal in Colorado, it was ruining his ambition and it was wrecking his family and it was taking his life down. But that had become his God. It's not that doubters don't have a God, they just have a different one. In his case, it was a God who grows on a hemp farm. Or in your case, it might be a God who's a celebrity or a God of your own resentment or God of your own Bitterness, yeah, this is what happens. Doubt is our permission in disguise. We think, we believe that we've thought our way there, we've reasoned our way there, that at some place, we're just a little bit too sophisticated to believe what those Christians believe, but deep down, deep down, we got stuff we wanna do, and if God says no, we don't believe in that God who has a different idea about what's best for us than we do. And for some of you, so much of your life just snapped into focus because you, you know what I'm saying and you know how hollow the result is. You know all the ways that sin over promises and under, under delivers. You, you know all the ways that when you fall into that trap of, of removing God so that you can become God, you know firsthand, you're a terrible God. Can I hear an amen for that? You, you know, you are such a bad God. And when I talk about God, uh, doubt just being the permission that you give yourself to ruin your life, permission in disguise, you're like, yeah. I mean, this is true. This is true of big time, well-known, globally famous atheists. People like Lenin, Starts the Soviet Union, Mao, starts communist China, the well-known atheists. And actually, their atheism was just this veneer they put over themselves because they wanted to execute the people with whom they disagreed. And if you know anything about Lenin and anything about Mao, they loved executing people and they did it a lot. Or maybe even slightly less famous atheists, Richard Dawkins and Madeline Murray O'Hare and more, more modern atheists who are so trendy and so cool. And yet their atheism, when you peel back the layers of their lives, their atheism was just the cover to, to, to underneath was all kinds of relational chaos, all kinds of family drama. 
And they put their atheism on as if to justify all of that. Really, atheism, doubt, so much of it, it comes from this sneaking suspicion that God's not good. And that's what all sin is. I don't know if you know this or not, that God is not good. God really wants to cramp your style. God doesn't know what's best for you. And when you come to this sneaking suspicion that God's not good, you decide that a God who would tell you no when you want to say yes, you refuse to believe that every no is laced with love, and you instead decide to use your doubts as permission in disguise. But the good thing is, good shepherd, Psalm 1 is not done with verse 1. The the, the realization that we don't think our way into our doubts, we behave our way into doubts. Psalm 1 isn't done with verse 1, and neither are we. Because look at verse 2, and remember that that Psalm verse 1 began with, blessed is the man, blessed is the man or the woman, the one, it says. Blessed is that one who doesn't sit with all the scoffers, who doesn't dwell with all the mockers, but instead... What describes this person in verse two? But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. So the blessed one is not the mocking one, not the one who uses doubt as permission in disguise. The blessed one, get this, the blessed one is, is not the one who just accepts the faith of Jesus, who just embraces the word, the blessed one whose delight, love that, who cherishes the faith, who savors the faith. Do you you know what a difference it is between just accept, yeah, accept Jesus into my heart. I savor Jesus. I wake up in the morning and the best thing about my life is that I'm bought I wake up in the morning and the second best thing about my life is that I'm completely dependent on him for everything that's gonna happen that day. Do you realize how much better that is than just accepting the faith? And Psalm number one and verse two says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And when you realize, oh my gosh, when you understand this is painting the picture, not of noble doubter guy, But if deeply faithful dude, a guy who realizes that that the Lord is both his reason that he is alive and his reason for living and and the deep level of contentment and satisfaction that comes from that. And that those are the people who don't continually chase after that which always over promises and under delivers because that's what sin, that's what wickedness, old fashioned words, Stand for snorting that, moving in with her and hating them and doing what you want with your hard-earned money, that that always over-promises and under-performs. And it leads us to this, what I just think is a thrilling realization for, and it's today. When you admit why you doubt, you will cherish what you believe. Yeah, when you have that rigorous, that moment of rigorous honesty and you admit why it is that you harbor your doubts and it's not because you're so smart. 
It's because you like to do those things that are ruining your life. And when you admit that's why you doubt, you will come to cherish and to savor uh, what it is that you believe. Because sin, every bit of sin, and I've, I've listed them before, and it's the snorting that, injecting that, and moving in with him, and dating her, and using your money, and hating all those folks, always comes from this suspicion, God's not good. Well, guess what, good shepherd? God is good. He's so good. He passes the test. And when you take the time to savor how good it is to be loved and how good it is to be saved and how good it is to be kept, man, none of the glitter of the world will ever measure up again. When you are honest enough to admit why it is you doubt, you will come not to tolerate, not to accept. You'll come to cherish what it is you believe. And know this, know this. You don't even have to have all those questions figured out before you jump in and believe anyway. You don't have to have every answer to every question you've ever had about Jesus, faith, the Bible, eternity, before you can lean in in faith. In fact, what I'm, what I'm talking about is like those, uh, those old television commercials. Turns out they were the longest running TV commercials in the history of television. For those of you under like 25, a, a television commercial <laughs> is before they had binge shows and it's how they broke up the hour, the half hour. But the longest running TV ad and commercial was for Life Serial and where the brothers have to tell Mikey, try it. You'll like it, try it, you'll like it. And what happens? Mikey tries it, he likes it, and the rest is life serial history. But that's what it's like, try it, you'll like it. When you admit why it is you doubt, you'll come to cherish what it is you believe, or you know what else it's like? It's so much like that, that technique, especially vital in this era of caller ID on your phone where before you pick up the phone, you smile. Like you have the name that pops up on your caller ID and you really don't want to talk to that. Oh, hi, mom-in-law. You really don't want to talk. <laughs> you really don't want to talk to that person, but you have to talk to that person. It changes the whole game. When you put the smile on your face, even if it's not in your heart, it's okay. It's not a sin. Put the smile on your face when you answer the phone in the whole tent or the rest. Some of you, when you see my name on caller ID, this is what you want to do. Oh, hey, tell it. This is what, this is what you do. That, that's what it's like. When you admit why it is you doubt, you will cherish what it is you believe. Because know this, not just for life serial and not just for smiling before you answer the phone, but in so many ways, at so many levels, comprehension does not precede belief, it follows it. That, that when you obey without completely understanding why you obey, but you decide to obey first. Along the way, in the journey, it becomes clear. Oh my goodness, this is why God said to do that. 
Once I surrendered to this thing, that thing became so clear. I'm so glad I didn't wait until I had every question possibly that I could conceive of answered. I obeyed first, I understood second. I don't know if you know this or not. This is the story of the entire Bible. God to Abraham. Abraham, go. Leave your family, leave your friends, leave your 401k and go and start a new land. Abraham is like, God, what's the agenda? What, what, what are we gonna do tomorrow? That's not for you to know. It will become evident along the way. A little bit later, God to Moses. Moses, take the people, get out of slavery in Egypt, cross the Red Sea. I've got something better in mind for you. Moses is like, well, what if my hair gets wet? And God says, don't worry about that. What do I tell them is your name, Lord? Tell them I am. And that's enough. Along the way, you will understand why. And a little bit later, Jesus to Peter, the fisherman's son of a fisherman, Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And Peter's like, well, well, who's keeping the books? And Jesus is like, well, his name is Judas. We'll have to talk about him later, but don't, don't, don't you worry about that. What's the agenda? What's the plan? Wh wh when are you coming back? That's not for you to know the times and the seasons. That's for me to know. You will discover along the way and along the way he did. People know this. They followed first and comprehended second. Once you take that step of faith or that leap of faith, God makes it abundantly clear why it is that faith is so much better than doubt. It's like surrender, surrender to the Lord's path and plan. It magnifies understanding. And this principle has not stopped. It didn't stop when the Bible was finished being written. It still plays out for you and for me. I mean, think about money. What, what could be money and generosity? I mean, what could be a more counterintuitive Command. What could be more the kind of command that would confirm your suspicion that God, he's not good, he's not good, than, than that counterintuitive Old Testament command of 10%, first 10% goes to the Lord's work, and then a, a whole crew of new people for whom 10% was not nearly enough and they gave it all. And you read that and, and, you, and you hear that and you're like, Lord, what kind of God would ever ask that of me? Don't you know that I've got a mortgage and I've got insurance and I've got alimony and I've got Wi-Fi? I got all, don't you know this Lord? And the Lord is like, try it, you'll like it. And I have so many of you who come to me after the experiment and you're saying, oh my gosh, now that we do give that first portion to God, life goes so much better. My whole life is in fact in harmony with the Lord's will. I know in our, in our own house that we've, we've tried for years and years to move towards those New Testament levels of generosity and we just discover again and again and again that you never miss what was never yours to begin with. And you admit why it is you doubt. You'll cherish what it is you believe. Or even think about sexual intimacy. 
Think about an area where, where you feel like God is cramping your style. God is not good because he's cramping my style. And yet I continue to meet those, those couples, exceedingly odd yet unusually blessed couples, young adults and middle age, who waited. And in the waiting, they discovered that abstinence before marriage reinforces fidelity after marriage. And they got to that place and they realized, ah, this wasn't cramping my style. This is blessing my life. And it's true, not just for money and not just for sex. Talk about a preacher going from preaching to meddling, money and sex. It's true for revenge. It's true for gossip. It's true for how you treat and think about people who are different from you in every way and at every level. God proves himself to be good. We don't want you just to embrace the faith. We want you to delight in that faith. When you admit why you doubt, you'll cherish what you believe. Really, I just, I, I, I want you to get to that place, good shepherd, where, where Christianity, where Jesus risen from the dead isn't something you tolerate. It's something upon whom you marinate. He does become your delight. And, and we have a tool for you that we want to share with you every morning Monday through Friday, well over 1,600 people, a lot of people in this church and then other people from around the country, they get what we call reading prompts, come alive daily, it's, it's called. And, and you can pull out your phone right now if you're like, I never heard about this. Well, we don't, we don't wanna just say, read the Bible, will ya? Come on, loser. We, we instead, as fellow losers, we come alongside and every morning at 4 a.m. Eastern time, there is in your email a guide to what we're reading in the Bible. And tomorrow we start a brand new biblical book. It's the, the New Testament letter of 1 John. We just finished Romans, so we're going to 1 John. And we'd love to have you sign up. You go to that website, gscharlotte.org, email, and then move over to the right-hand corner of that page, daily reading it, it, on your desktop. I don't know how it looks on your phone. Daily reading prompts. It's very easy to sign up. You can do it right now and you will be glad. It will arrive in your email inbox tomorrow. And I have to believe, I believe with everything I have that starting your day in the word rather than starting your day in the world is the best way to cherish this Lord who adores you, saves you and keeps you. Really, what I want for you and for me and for all of us is so much like that guy I was talking to who entered into recovery after a lifetime of drinking. And, and he just said to me with so much appreciation, if I'd known how much Jesus was then being drunk, I would have left that stuff a long time ago. And so he is. And so that can be your story as well. When you admit why you doubt. You'll cherish what you believe. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are good, not just pretty good, not just okay. You are very good, and we take delight in you. Would you confirm that truth would you expose any, any ways that we've been using doubt as permission in disguise? 
And would you deliver us from all of it and into your arms? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can remain seated. We have a gift for you.